Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. This is episode number 70. I'm Art Regner, and joining us, uh, and this must be a record. I mean, we've had a lot of people on several times, but uh, Craig Button, the uh, scouting director for TSN, joins us. And if you think, didn't you just have Craig Button on? You're right. It was a week ago today that we had uh, Craig Button on on a Monday. Uh, and uh, with that fine introduction, let's just bring uh, Craig in. A lot of things happening at the 2018 draft as we really hone in on the Red Wings and get maybe Craig's overview uh, of what he thought happened. So with that, let's uh, bring him in. Craig, thanks again. Thanks for doing this. Oh, very happy to join you, Art. Well, it, it's always my pleasure, and I would imagine going into Dallas, I think everybody thought there could be kind of a frenzy with trades and teams trying to move up and down because, uh, as as you uh, you know rightly put, that after the first two picks, maybe everybody else was kind of jumbled around. Everyone's draft board might have, uh, or their list looked different. Uh, your overview of what occurred uh, uh, Friday and Saturday in Dallas. Well, let's start with Friday, Art. I think the biggest thing is what happened on Friday, especially in the first 12 picks, was not unexpected. There was a clear sense of who the player pool was that was going to go in that range of the draft, especially after Darlene and Svechnikov. And who the players were, I think everybody, everybody knew who they were. What order they were going to go in? Nobody knew. And I think that that played out. I think that that clearly played out on, on Friday night through the first 12 picks. And, and then after that, we would, you know, the, the, everybody felt that beginning at pick 13, you know, it comes down to probably a bigger pool of 30 players, maybe even larger than that, that everybody rated differently and looked at and said, okay, maybe this group fits into, the, into that 13 to 25 range. And then 25 to 31 into 40 was probably another big pool of players. So not, not unexpected. And as we talked about prior to the draft art, you know, after Delene and Svechnikov would really establish themselves as one-two, you know, the, the difference between the next nine players was small, if any at all. And it came down to, what do you like? Do you like this type of winger or that winger? Do you like this centerman or a defenseman? Do you want uh, uh, the a defenseman that may, may produce a little bit more points, or do you want a defenseman that's going to be uh, a little bit more well-rounded? So I called it a smorgasbord of, of styles and positions and types, and so that was left for the teams to decide what they wanted and, and perhaps even what they needed. You know, look at Montreal at three. It's not just that they, they needed a centerman in their system, a top-line centerman. The last time they drafted a first-line center, with Saku Corvo in 1993. It was also that in this year's draft, yes, Barry Kotkaniemi of Baron Hayden fit the bill. It wasn't any type of, oh, but we're going to take a need. Those guys are really good players. Well, certainly, you could tell, I mean, not that anybody's going to be disappointed, but you could feel like with each pick, especially in that first round, uh, obviously the, the young men that are drafted are happy, but it just seemed that, Everybody was really pleased with their picks, and I guess they should be. Maybe I, I'm stating the obvious here, but Craig, let's let's hone in a little bit on on the Red Wings pick, just because I think that the Red Wings were really surprised that Philip Zadina fell to them at six. I had heard rumors going that. They coveted him. That was the guy they really wanted. They were thinking about, is there any way we could trade up? 
and lo and behold, they stay pat. I think believing that they were going to get Evan Bouchard with the uh, uh, sixth overall pick, and then boom, there Zadina uh, falls into their lap. Um, were were you surprised, or maybe because Detroit wanted him so badly, and when people were looking at it, that they they never really saw a distinct possibility because they had him rated so highly, if that makes any sense. Yeah, well, it makes full sense. And, and, and what happens when you're, when you're scouting and then you put together your list and then you're getting to the draft and you're going, geez, can we get this guy? We really like him. And you're hoping beyond hope that, he's, that he might get there. But you're, but you're talking yourself out of it. You go, oh, he won't be there. There's no way. He does this and he does that. Because you're looking at it through the lens of how you see the player. And Zadina's a terrific, terrific player. Let's get that clear. But, you know, when you're looking through it with, through that lens and you're seeing that player, you never think he's going to get to you because you think every other team is looking through the same lens. As I've said about this draft, everybody was looking through different lenses depending on what they felt uh, uh, they liked what they felt that they wanted, maybe what they felt that they needed. So that's what changes it. But, but it, it shouldn't lessen the excitement that the Detroit Red Wings or the fans should have by getting Philip Zadina. Because he, when you get a player of that ilk, when you get a player, front-line offensive player, no question in my mind he's going to score and score lots in the NHL. Really, he reminds me so much of David Pasternak. And, you know, we know what David Pasternak has meant to the Boston Bruins. And if Philip Zadina can, can be that player, tell you what, you're looking at a star for a lot of years uh, for the Detroit Red Wings. But, you know, the, the, the excitement, when, when you get a player that you're so excited about and that you really want it, celebrate it. Celebrate it. Well, they were... They were definitely celebrating. I, I, you know, that 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 I know for a fact. Yeah, uh, I know. I'm going to jump around, and then we'll hone in on, on Detroit's draft in general and get and get your views on that. But. We, you know, size always seems to be an issue, and I know last week we spent some time on that. And, and lo and behold, the first two defensemen that are drafted are Quinn Hughes and Adam Boquist, uh, not not Evan Bouchard and Noah Dobson, who went ten in uh, uh, Bouchard went ten to the uh, uh, to the Oilers, and then Dobson went twelve to uh, uh, to, to uh, uh, or I mean to the uh, Islanders. Um, but I guess my point being is is that. The two smaller defensemen were the two that were picked first. But again, I know talking to you, that shouldn't really surprise fans because everybody at times is so obsessed with size. Well, I think what you need to do is, is you need to get Nicholas Cronball on, on the red and white. And you need to start talking to him about small defense. <laughs> because he, he, he's going to vehemently disagree with you. Listen, I watched Nicholas play uh, when he was in Sweden. I mean, he was like 5'11", about 162 pounds, right? And we all, but, he, but when you watched him play, he was a fierce competitor. He was an excellent skater. He, he was good with the puck. He jumped into the play. And we all know what he's meant to the Detroit Red Wings over his time there. But let me just tell you this, okay? Uh, you know, and I've said this many a times, and, and I will, and I know that because people, when I say people, fans and whatnot, get obsessed with size, you know, I'm going to be able to say it again for years to come. Bottom line is, when I go and watch a player, uh, the first thing I'm watching for, skating, thinking, puck play, what does he do, what are the strengths of his game? And then maybe I'll go, okay, five does it matter? 
Does he get pushed around? Does he get pushed away? And that's just, that's how it is with Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes is a brilliant skating defenseman, much like Morgan Riley of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Adam Boakfish might be a home run pick if he ends up, you know, being at the offensive level of an Eric Carlson. I don't think he'll be at that level. Eric Carlson's a unique superstar. But, but, but if he moves into that offensive category where he can really produce points. So when I'm evaluating those players, never once did height come into it for me. And, again, I go and watch a lot, like tall players, and I, and I watch them, and I, and I know they're tall, and, and they can't play. And I don't care. I don't care if you're six foot two or six foot three. So at the end of the day, watch the players for what they do, watch them for their skills, and go from there. And again, when you, uh, I use the term a smorgasbord of players and skills and types and positions. That's what you saw. Really, it, it, it was amazing because everything that that, that you said and uh, that was written that you know, after, as you said, after uh, Rasmus Dahlin and uh, and and Shvechnikov, uh, everybody else had you know everybody's board looked different. I can remember talking to Red Wing director uh, of amateur scouting Tyler Wright um, about six weeks before the draft, and he said, "I guarantee you that after the first few picks, if you look, at, there's going to be." Everyone's list for the uh, uh, for the other uh, 29 teams is going to be all over the place. There's not going to be two s- lists that are somewhat similar. He said they could, you know, they're all over. He goes, this is this is how deep the draft is, and this is where play where teams really have their own needs and identify them, and that's what they base putting their list on. He says, I think sometimes fans just get caught up in, in the hype surrounding each and every one of these players, and they focus in on what they think their teams need, but what the fans might focus in on is not necessarily what the team is focusing in on, and I, I don't know, maybe we saw that happen uh, uh, last weekend in Dallas. Well, I, like again, I, I don't know if we saw it or we didn't see it. I, I, I think that you get excited, you see a player rated high, and you go, oh, geez, we can get him. How could they not be taking him at three or four? And, and what you have to understand, Art, is, is, is the differences are, are very small, razor thin, if, if there's any differences at all. And, and, and when I say differences, I'm talking about potential. So, you know, what you're looking for, what you value, what, what you feel your team may need, what your team wants, uh, all those factors come into play. So it's not that a player, that, that, that the fans shouldn't get excited about a player that's rated high or, you know, somebody going, well, geez, the Islanders got real lucky getting Noah Dawson. I don't know if they got lucky or not. I mean, that's the guy that they were able to select at 12 because of how other teams. I, I can guarantee you this. If you go up to, let's go to 11, because Islanders had back-to-back picks. Right. Let's just go up to that point in time. Ask any team picking 1 to 10 if they weren't absolutely thrilled about the player they got. Nobody's going to tell you no. They're all thrilled to get the player they wanted. And so we sit back and we go, oh boy, was that a surprise to you? Going into the draft, and I always, I always kid. I try to have fun with a mock draft. I try to go like this guy would fit for this reason. I try to make it reasonable, right? But uh, I, I had Edmonton taking Evan Bouchard. All the Edmonton guys, oh, there's no way he'll be there at ten. All oh, that, there's absolutely no way. I said, yeah, you're right. Maybe there isn't. I don't know. I'm just having some fun with it, right? Well, now he ends up at ten, and people go, how did you know? I said, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know before. I didn't know going into it. But that's how he ended up. But you, you, again, back to that lens, you get excited about a potential player that might fit for your team that you really like, 
not just for the fans, it's also for the, for the scouts as well. Right, well, I, I, I think... Um uh, certainly, before we we get into the Red Wings, uh, and 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 I know that you don't really after the draft, you're saying, listen, you really don't know maybe two, three, four years down the the line how real successful it will be because some of these players' maturity levels, development time is different for everybody. But um, were you impressed with a few teams besides Detroit? Because as I said, we'll hone in on them that that you thought really did well uh, uh, in Dallas. Yeah, 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 honestly, Art, I, like, I, I'm not smart enough to tell you who did well and who didn't do well. And I, I'm going to take you back in time. I'm going to take you back. In the 2012 draft, the Edmonton Oilers drafted Neil Yakupov first overall. You're watching him. I, I, I think people felt that he was a, a top pick. And, and, and you're going, gee, that, that, wow, they got a guy, they got a real dynamic guy, real offensive guy, scores 20-plus goals in the lockout-shortened lockout rookie season that he played. And everybody's going, boy, what a player they got there, right? So if I'm telling you the day after the draft, geez, uh, well, Edmonton did well, but now we're five years later. Edmonton didn't do that well. <laughs> and, and the Columbus Blue Jackets didn't do that well, taking Ryan Murray at two. But I'm not smart enough to do it the day after the draft or a year after the draft. I get I start to get a sense, but so do the team. So I have honestly, I have no idea who did well and who did poorly. I do know this though: every bloody team walked away from that draft being really happy about what they accomplished. Now we're going to be able to see what they do. And and, and I'm going to say this: I read all about this grade and that grade, and people go, oh, you, "Listen, you're doing it with your own philosophies." with your own criteria, with what you value, and largely based largely based on, on how you rank players. So that's how the grades work. Well, that's great. Understand your own biases and how you're grading them. Well, guess what? That's why I don't grade, and I won't grade, and I can't grade. Really? It's going to well, take time to understand what happened. That's why I've always liked talking to you because you, you approach you're realistic about this. I mean, you, you know, you're you're asking someone to gaze into the future, and you know that's something that you know uh, when God created human beings, uh, uh, gazing into the future and having them be soothsayers is not really a strong trait. I mean, it's you know everybody would likes to do it, but 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 you're right. It has to really uh, sort of play out. Uh, with that said, though, I I, I want to get into the well, red. Okay, yeah, we will. But let me just add this little yep. piece to you, okay? Yep. So let's just think about all the all the all the students that apply to the University of Michigan, okay? All right. A top school in the world. Okay, a top school in the world. So the incoming class, these are all students that have been top of the class, very, very successful and wherever they've come from, right? This is the top of the class, right? It would be like saying, Okay, you've all, you've admitted all these kids into your school and now we're gonna grade them before they've even started their freshman class. We're going to grade them, and we're going to we're, we're going to determine who's going to graduate, magna cum laude, who, who's going to go there before you've even before you've even had before they've even had a chance to be tested at the NHL level. You can't do it. Right, right. Yeah, you, 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 it reminds me of a story, Craig. Real quickly, uh, a good friend of mine was a walk-on at uh, University of Michigan. He was uh, played in uh, uh, played in California. Uh, went to a small Catholic school in the Detroit area, walked on at Michigan, and he was a very, very good player, uh, honorable mention All-State. And he said when he first got on the football field for the first time and saw what Michigan had, he realized that virtually every one of these kids was their best player in high school. You know, had always gone through the ranks and was terrific. And he knew, and the coaches didn't, 
come right out and say it, but kind of told them there are now, this is the division point too. Some of you guys, even though you think you're great or, or whatever, uh, you know, it's a process. Some of you, it might take longer, but overall, you know, it, it gets weeded out. And unfortunately, I think that that's what happens every time uh, these high caliber young kids that are great athletes move up a notch is that some make it and some don't and that's just the reality and 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 i guess maybe i'm not trying to put words in your mouth but but really after you get your list done and the players that you like it 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 it, it is a little bit of a crapshoot just because of the nature of uh, of the way uh, human beings are i don't mean to get all philosophical on you today here craig but i mean i i think you're absolutely right you just got to be patient and let it play itself out and, and, and coach them up like they're yours now. So now all the players you drafted, when I say they're all happy, now you got to develop them, and now you got to guide them, and now you got to help them. And you're going to help them when they're when they're when they're stumbling and they're not achieving. Some some kid doesn't get invited to the World Junior Camp that thinks he should have. So now he he's got to you got to help him work through that and under and everything that goes with it. So that those are the those are all the things that are moving along, and that's why. You, you, you can't say what a team did well or what they didn't do well here. They're all happy. They've all put in an extensive amount of work to get to this point. And, and it's not about being philosophical. I mean, to, to use the greatest example, why don't we use Tom Brady? He, he, right. he is now one of the guys that's talked about, about being the greatest player ever in the NFL. The greatest player ever. And what about a six-round draft pick? Six-round draft pick. So when he was drafted, do you think anybody would say, geez, the New York Patriots did a hell of a job getting that Tom Brady? <laughs> well, if you look back in time, you go, they did a hell of a job. But the day after, they couldn't have said that. <laughs> well, you're, well you're, you're, obviously, I covered Tom Brady when he was at the University of Michigan. And uh, uh, until he became the Tom Brady, I had him on several times on my uh, uh, on my radio show with, with with my former partner, Doug Karsh, and, and, and because we knew Tom. And... I will tell you, there is a kid, talk about perseverance, uh, you know, he was drafted in baseball by the old Montreal Expos as a catcher. Uh, the day that he signed or signed with Michigan, I had him on with his dad uh, on a weekend show I was doing, so I've known him a long time. Here was a kid that faced obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, and all he did was believe in himself, work his tail off, and he made himself the player that he is today. And I guess my point being is, is that the Red Wings can provide them with all the nutritionists and workouts and, and give, them all, give these young men all the amenities that they need. But in the end, it really does come down to, I guess, each individual player. You know, the, the thing that coaches say all the time is, is that I don't determine a player's ice time. Players determine their ice time. And I guess that just holds true with, with these young men that are, are about to step onto the ice on Tuesday in Red Wing Development Camp. It begins for them there, and they have to have that inner drive to, to compete and succeed because what they're walking into tomorrow is a completely different. It's the NHL as opposed to anything they've ever been involved in before. Well, and, and, and just to add to this philosophical discussion, <laughs> professional sports is very unique in, in, in this sense. You're, you're selecting the players that have been the best at the levels below uh, the, the respective top leagues. You're not going in and drafting a four-goal scorer and saying, 
you know, we really think he can score 50. You're drafting guys that have scored 50 and thinking they can score 50. And those are the guys that you're looking at, number one. Right. Number two, and this is the biggest thing, you do not get to test players against the competition that they are going to be playing against. If you go to law school and you are moving through law school, right, you get to go look work for a law firm right. while you're in law school, right? And you, now the law firm can evaluate you and understand, okay, geez, he's got this level of reasoning and he can do this really well and he's got this level of preparation. So now when you make the offer to a law student to come and work for your firm, whatever it may be, you have a really, really good sense of what that law student can do. Professional sports leagues have no idea. They think, <laughs> but they've never had a chance to test those, those, those players at the level they're going to be playing at. Never. Well, you're the crapshoot part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely is. That's why. Uh, uh, I mean, that's why it's that's why it's fascinating to cover from my standpoint, and fascinating to watch. And and you know, and, and, and I love when tournaments are in Plymouth, or or I have an opportunity to see some of the best young t- talent in the world congregate and watch them at least go against their peers and, and see how they do. I mean, it it's 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 really I, I truly definitely enjoy it. And 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 you know, again. Uh, and when you look at the Red Wings had 10 picks, they traded a, uh, uh, the, uh, their first pick in the sixth round that they got from Montreal in the Steve Ott deal for a fifth round conditional pick in next year's draft to the Columbus Blue Jackets. But out of the 10 players, they, they chose five defensemen, or they chose five uh, forwards, shall we say, three defensemen all in a row with picks uh, 36, 67, and 81 were D, and then two goalies, which the organization really does need too. But, you know, going in, 10 picks, I would imagine that if you were to talk to several, maybe fans and people that, that were in the know, they would have thought that the Red Wings con- would have concentrated on defense. But getting back to your original point is that, at times, if you like a player, regardless, you take him, and it's pretty obvious that with their first three picks, Philip Zadina, uh, Joe Valeno, and Jonathan Bergeron, uh, that these were three guys that the Red Wings just thought that they couldn't pass up on, and I know that they're extremely happy. So let's uh, maybe get it. I don't know how well you know, obviously, some of the, the picks in the later rounds, but what was your overview of maybe the, the players that Detroit drafted? i not asking for for a grade or or a need, but with your familiarity at, at them, uh, how much, for lack of a better term, potential do you think the Red Wings really were able to get in this draft with these ten picks? Well, now we just talked about grades, and I'll give you a grade. No, I'm kidding, Art. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. <laughs> this is when. Listen, they're excited. They're excited about what the players they got. Obviously, Zadina, we talked about him. I, I use I use David Pasternak as, an, as a comparable type player. Uh, he's mature. He's, a, he's an excellent young man. He's determined. He's hungry. He scores from multiple areas in the offensive zone. So that makes him really, really versatile in terms of being able to handle defenders and defense schemes and everything. He's thinking. He's always thinking about where he can take advantage of the scoring offense. Opportunity, and that's what you want. You don't want those one-dimensional scores. And he is a multifaceted, multi-dimensional scorer. And I, I think those are the guys that when I when I use the term translate to the NHL, that translates. Joe Valeno is, is, is a very interesting player. I, I don't think there's any any skill that he possesses that you would call elite. 
but, 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 he, but he's a good, industrious, efficient player. The, the, the comparable that I would use is Lars Eller of the Washington Capitals. Right. Lars was a first-round draft pick to the St. Louis Blues. But when you watch Lars play, he can scale up the lineup, but he also can contribute from a spot. Now, obviously, in Washington, playing behind Backstrom and Kuznetsov, I mean, that's an ideal spot for him to play it. But I think that Joe has that type of ability, that type of potential to be that player. And, and those players become really important for your team because, you know, you, not only do you want them to be able to contribute, you also want to put them in positions where they're not scaled above their capabilities. So I think that as you're trying to build your team, and that's what happened with Eller, that Valeno can fit into that. Industrious, efficient, hardworking, you know, really, uh, you know, wants to try to contribute to the, to the team and to the game in some, in some way, in some fashion. And those players are, are, are really important to the success of a team. It, it's not always about your top players. It's about players throughout the lineup also being able to contribute. So I think that, that, that Joe can uh, absolutely do that. I really, really like Jonathan Bergman. Uh, I think that he's a really good player. He, he's another player that attacks inside the dots. He wants to get into the guts of the action. He's got uh, a, a lot of uh, leverage in his game in terms of, you know, it's hard to push away. Again, we're going to go to height. You know, when I watched Jonathan Bergman play, I never watched him and said, geez, he's 5'10". I just right. watched this guy always had the puck, always hungry, always driving the net, can make plays. He, he can jump into the attack late and shoot the puck. So th there's this vision, this hockey sense, this determination, this skill. And, and the game is hard. And I'm going to quote Kenny Holland. Mm -hmm. Because Kenny Holland has said this for decades. He said, I don't care how big the ice surface is. Because I don't care if you play it on Lake Michigan. He <laughs> says, if you can't get to the net, that's where the top players score from. If you can't defend at the net, you're going to get scored on. And if you can't get to the net, that's where you have to be able to score. John Bergren gets to the net. He gets to the scoring area, and he's determined to get there. I really like him. And then we go to Jared McIsaac. And I'm just talking about the first four picks here real quick. Mm -hmm. Jared McIsaac is, is a really good, strong, efficient defenseman again. I don't think he's a top pair defenseman. I think he's a top four. Probably not a top three. Maybe he gets to a three. But absolutely in your top four. Move the puck. Make a play. You know, be able to understand this is where the next play has to go. When he has the puck on his stick, I, I can pretty much assure you that a good play will happen. And if you spend too much time in your own zone, all those offensive players you have are not going to be able to do what they do best. So Jared is able to, to get to a puck. He's able to move it. Number two, he's able to defend. He's able to be able to close the play uh, below, the, below the circles, on the entry. And the other thing about Jared that I've always loved about him, whenever the games became demanding and, 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 and the stakes became higher and, and more challenging, Jared always raised the level of his game. That's significant. So when we talk about different levels of play, you know, that, is, that to me is a quality that I really like in a player. You know, the, the temperature rises, he doesn't, he doesn't fade. He just stays right up there. And so I think that that's a, a really good, competitive, strong player on, on your team. And, and again, you got Dennis Chalowski, who was the first-round pick. And I can tell you this, Art, Yep. He's a player that has moved forward so nicely. He is, in my view, there's no question in my mind he's going to be an NHL player. 
and you watch what he's done. Now you put him at Isaac in there. So the blue line is coming. You got Lundstrom coming, who they drafted in the second round last year. So like like those are those are really really good strong I think players that are that they're going to form the body of the defense group. Um, I, I want to go back to uh, Valeno just for a second. And I, uh, when I got back to my room in Dallas, I turned on the NHL network and they were going over the draft. And I know that uh, you, you were on and, and you and I, I believe it was Darren Pang. And, and everyone was talking a little bit about, uh, about Valeno and this special exemption. Uh, he was able to play in the Quebec League at 15. Uh, I think he's the first player ever to get that special exemption in the Quebec League. But other guys, I know Connor McDavid, some of them got received special exemptions. Do you believe that at a 15-year-old with all those expectations, and you know he knows he wants to be drafted? And again, Craig, I'm asking you to you know peer into the crystal ball here. But now that he has achieved at least one of his dreams of being drafted into the team. Uh, some some boards had him very high, like a middle first-round pick, uh, 13, 14, 15, right in that range. He falls to 30, uh, that now he'll be able to maybe uh, kind of do a reset and whatever the expectations levels were as a 15-year-old, and maybe he didn't meet them, but now... He's still gonna. He still got drafted into the NHL. Let's calm down and and concentrate on ourselves and become the best player you can be. Exceptional status is uh, you know granted to players. You got to be 16 to be able to play in junior hockey. Right. Uh, the problem for the problem, I don't want to say the the challenge is, is that when you follow in the footsteps of John Tavares, Aaron Ekblad, and Connor McDavid, you know. And, and, and they were clearly players that were ready to play junior hockey at 15 years of age. There was no question about it. But then what, what, what ends up happening is, is that the bar gets lowered a little bit because you think that the next guy. It happened with Sean Day, who played right. with Concuit, right? Right. And, you know, he wasn't, even, he wasn't even the first pick in the OHL. He wasn't even the first defenseman picked as a 15-year-old. And certainly, you know, nothing exceptional about him. But because he was advanced at 15 years of age, could skate, was bigger and stronger, people started, oh, well, well, this is the next guy. Well, he wasn't. And then Joe Valeno, you know, he, he, same thing. He ended up being the first overall pick in the Quebec League draft. But, but, you know, I think what we have to do is, is redefine what exceptional is. Right. What you have to do is to say exceptional should mean, okay, they're ready to go play junior because they're physically mature. That doesn't mean they're going to be exceptional players. Joe went to a really good team in St. John in, in the Quebec League, which had a really good, uh, uh, really good players. That he didn't have to come in and be that lead guy like Tavares, like Ekbed, like like uh, uh, McDavid. So he was he was he was shielded pretty nicely. But it, it becomes like a scarlet letter for him in terms of like it's a big E on his chest. Yeah. Uh, you know, exceptional. You know what? Joel was ready to handle it maturity-wise and ready to go into a team. He's not an exceptional player. He's not an elite player. What he is is when I use the, when I use Lars Eller, that's what he is. Right. But people now start to think that because he has this exceptional status, because of who preceded him, oh my God, he's just no, he isn't. Evaluate him for what he is. Understand what his potential is, and understand what his capabilities are, and then go from there. And I think that you know when you when when you do that. When you look at him, there's no question you can say he's a good player. There's no question you can say he's got good potential. But you got everybody's got to remove this exceptional. That was when he was 15. 
Art, you, you, you've been around sports a long time. How many kids have you seen that were exceptional at 15 that weren't at 18? doesn't mean they're lesser. just means that a lot of other players have been able to develop. He was advanced at that age. He's a good, solid person. He's a, he's a, you know, he's not a good, he's a great kid, great person, and a real good, solid player. Right. But, you know, I, I think you said it in a nutshell. You're exactly right. There are so many times that, that we read about different players and different young men that are, are considered prodigies. Heck, you know, I know we're jumping around here and going through sports. I can remember reading about Chris Weber when he was in seventh and eighth grade in the Detroit Papers. <laughs> I mean, he kind of panned out okay, but I'm just saying you're right. You know, we, we, we tend to focus on, on kids that have exceptional talents at a certain age, but they're very, very young. And... You know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, which is something that I think that we have a tendency to forget. And, uh, uh, I, Craig, I, I want to uh, – I'm going to ask you about some of these players. I know some of them you don't know about, but uh, in, in the last uh, – th with their third-round picks you're, – you're, you're, making a, you're making a big assumption there. You, you said you know there's something I don't know about. How do you know that? Well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to give you an easy – I'm trying to give you an easy out, Craig. No. <laughs> no. Okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> I listen, I can, I can take the out on my own, but like you can't make that assumption, can you? No, <laughs> I know, no, I know. You're, you're right. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm still, I'm still recovering. Believe it or not, I'm on Eastern time now, and something about Central time. I don't know what's going on. I, my mind is just all over the place since I, I arrived back uh, yesterday from Dallas. Uh, um, uh, the, the sixty uh, round three, sixty seventh pick, Alex. Uh, uh, Rugala, who whose dad was the, was the dentist for the Red Wings, and now still the dentist for the uh, uh, for the Detroit Lions. This was Evan Bouchard's defensive partner with the London Knights, six four two zero three. He's from here, obviously very happy. Uh, good reports on him that if he keeps progressing, he's certainly going to be a player in the National Hockey League. Yeah, and I, I think those reports are accurate, Art, and uh, he, I, I, he's really progressed his game. When he first came into the OHL, he was a player that, like, I don't want to use the word cautious. It was like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this really well, and then I'm going to build it. And like, I'm going to try to go, uh, what's that game, Jenga, where, where you pull the blocks out and you try to build the tower up? What's uh, that? Is it Jenga or something? Is it Jenga? That's what it, yeah, Jenga. Yeah. So what I would say is, is that the, the, that's the comparison I would use with Alex. Is that it was like Jenga? He's going to build it. He's going to be okay. I'm going to wade into that area. Okay, I can do that pretty well. Now I can do this. And and what you watch with Alec is just this really confidence build in his game. And as the confidence built in his game, he became a lot more assertive. He became a lot more confident, and he became a lot more impactful. And I and I really believe that that's going to carry forward for him. He's smart. And the the first thing I look for in defensemen is. Are you smart? Can you make a play? Like, I know when you're younger and you have more skill than everybody, you know, if you, if you can skate, you can skate your way out of a problem, okay? But when you get to the next levels, you know what? You can't skate your way out of a problem. Alec Lazula didn't put himself in a problem. He moves the puck, he head up all the time, eyes up, understands where the next play has to happen. His feet got to become a little quicker. Well, guess what? Just about every player picked after eight or seven or in the game, even Brady Kachuk at four. The feet have to become quicker. For a defenseman, you know, I think he's got good feet working. I think he's got really good room to, uh, to improve in that pivoting area and that lateral agility. But he's got a really good idea in terms of reading the play. 
that he knows where he wants to get to defensively. So now as, as you work on the development part of it with the skating and that agility and feet work, I really believe it will improve. And then you watch him when he has the puck and, and getting it, he's fully aware of, of what the options are and what play has to be made. And, and he also has a physical element. He, he's territorial. He uses his body to hold his space. He pushes opponents out of their space. And, and, and if there's a Detroit Red Wings, to me, yeah, we talk about development. You have to be absolutely thrilled, okay, that he's playing in London for Dale Hunter. Dale Hunter is an outstanding developer of young players. There might be guys as good as him. There's nobody better than him, in my view. So now you draft a player that you feel has this potential, and now you know he's in a situation where he will get better. That, to me, is win-win. What? Well, yeah, it, it, exactly. And, and, and you know, and Regala, uh, 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 because he. Because he's from here, you know, he, his incentive, he was just so happy, uh, and, you, and you had to feel good for him. But you're absolutely right. He's, he seems to be a guy that, and I'm not saying, look, any team that would have drafted him, he would have approached it the same way. But, uh, you know, he's, he seemed to get a, a, a little extra oomph because it was the Red Wings. Another pick at 81. Uh, I, I love the team that he plays for, the Trail... Uh, uh, trail smoke eaters. Uh, uh, smoke eaters. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, Seth Barton, 6'4", 174 pounds, right-handed shot. Uh, he and Rugala are, are both right-handed shots. McIsaac's a left-handed shot. These were the the three defensemen that we've talked about here. Uh, what about Seth Barton? Again, you know, initial reports are is here's a kid that's kind of come out of nowhere, maybe, and and put himself into the mix. Well, I, I would say that. Now, do you know anything about the Trail Smoke Eaters? Uh, I, I, I don't, but I certainly want to get some of their paraphernalia. Okay. I love the name. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, okay, you better get some of their paraphernalia. And Art, I'm not going to tell you about them the next time we talk. Go and look up the Trail Smoke Eaters. They're a famous team worldwide. Really? Famous team. Famous team worldwide. So keep that in mind. I'll tell you who plays for the Trail Smoke Eaters. Ray Ferraro. Really? Just, you know, he grew up in trail. Yep, there's Landon, who was drafted by the Red Wings, Ray's son. Yes. Uh, you know, from trail. Uh, so uh, a lot of, uh, so that's where Ray came from. Famous, famous team worldwide, trail smokeeaters. Anyway, I'll leave that with you to go do your research. I will. And uh, when you put in your, and when you do put in your paper, I will grade it. Unlike the players, and the, unlike the teams in this draft, I will be grading your paper. Yep. Very interesting, fascinating story. You, Seth is exactly what you just that you described. He, he, he's, a, he, he's raw. And, and, you know, so you watch this player, that's, he's growing physically, he's trying to play hockey, he's trying to get everything in order coordination-wise, and but, you know, when you watch him and, and you see this ability to, to move and to think, and Trail was a good team this year in the BCHL, uh, and so... You, you, you start to consider where can he go up? It, it, once all that coordination, he gets his speed, he's like, he's like a Bambi a little bit. You know, where, where he's just got to get uh, a little bit more mature, a little bit more coordinated and get, get everything underneath him. He, he's got the potential to really move forward. Most players need more time than not. And the fact is that Seth is going to need that and he's going to get that. And, and, and I think when you consider... Uh, you, you know, the fact that you can just take them, let them just go and learn and grow and have that time. You know, they got a player there in the uh, in the fourth round. I think it was the fourth round. 
maybe no, it's still the third round right. that they took him. That has, has a chance to be to be a, a, a good, solid player in my view. And that's where you you know this is the part of the draft where you want to mind gem, right? They're unpolished, they're uncut, and and now it's up to you to take them and and help them get better. And I think that he's got that capability. Uh, I, I want to jump quickly to uh, before uh, the last two forwards, round four, pick 98, Ryan O'Reilly, who, who is from the Dallas area, and nice story in the Dallas Morning News on Thursday about him, uh, very excited, uh, you know, a kid that you know, went the route, uh, and, and I guess that the Dallas Junior Program is starting to take a, a little bit of a foothold and rising up in the, uh, in the ranks of, uh, of uh, uh, developing talent uh, in, in the United States, Ryan O'Reilly, and then uh, Otto uh, Kevamaki, I believe, who was taken in the seventh round, 191, smallish player, uh, five uh, eight, uh, 155 pounds. Uh, how much do you know about each of these guys? And uh, it seems that Ryan O'Reilly, at least if it's based on attitude, here's a kid that if he continues to to develop and, and have that mindset, that he may have a shot at making it. Well, then, and you talk about mindset. So that's an important aspect when you're when you're playing. Is what, what kind of attitude do you play with? Well, he, he plays with a real forceful, determined, competitive attitude, and and you know, but he's got skills to go with it. We're not talking about somebody that doesn't have skills and doesn't have attributes. Now, and and and, it, and, so, and, and he's one of those players that, and again, like there's a pool. There's a thirty of them or thirty-five of them. The teams look at and they sit down and they go, geez, we really like the way he plays and we really think that he's got the ability to take his game to a higher level. But when you when you go and spend time with a player like that, and I, and I didn't, but I know the Red Wings would have, you get a real understanding of what he's about and how determined he is and how competitive he is. You get that watching on the ice. And so now you want to work with a player like that because you know he wants to work with you. And at the very least, he is going to give himself every single chance mm-hmm. to be the best player he can be. And that's all you want when you draft players at this point in the draft. You want them to leave everything on, on the, that they have out on the ice and everything in the weight room and everything they're doing is focused on being a player. And if they don't make it, you know that you're not going to, that they gave themselves every opportunity. That to me is Ryan. That to me is, is what you want. And if he makes it great, but you know that you have a player, in my view, at the very least, you have an American Hockey League player that may be instrumental in helping some of your other young players develop because of that attitude and that approach. And getting to the NHL certainly is that potential for him, but you got to love the way he plays. Now, I will tell you this about uh, Kiva Mackey. I don't know him, but I do know Hawken Anderson. And I do know that, uh, you know, uh, I, I would bet that he has lots of skill. I'm going to bet you that he can skate, and I can bet you he can think. And so now you drop him, you can have him for four years, you just let him stay over there, play, see where he gets to. And you know what? When you, when you draft players with skill and hockey sense and they need time, well, now you let that time, uh, you know, unfold. And you, you understand, okay, where can we go with it? Where can, where can he go? And at the end of it, whether it be in two years or three years or whatnot, you make an evaluation. But... This is a pick for the future, but just knowing Hawk, I know that uh, this kid has those qualities. I, I would bet on it, and if he doesn't, well, then uh, I'll, I'll step up and say I was wrong. Well, I do. Uh, I know the goalie. I know the goalie Eliason, 
Uh, yes. A very well-regarded goaltender. I, I, I think there was uh, a lot of teams that liked him. I think there was a lot of teams that thought that he was the guy that they were targeting in that area of the draft. And, you know, the, the, the team, at some point in time, some teams have said, we're taking this guy. We're taking him. That's our guy. And away we go. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, again, another guy, get him into the system, let him grow, let him get better, and see where he goes. Right. And any... Anything about uh, the, who they picked? They picked two goalies in the sixth round, 160th overall. Uh, Eliason was a third-round pick, uh, number 84, uh, Jesper Eliason. Uh, and, and then they went for a guy named uh, uh, Victor uh, Bratstrom, as I, I believe, uh, that they, they picked his name. And, and let's be honest here, Red Wings have to do something about goaltending. They only have two um, uh, under contract, Jimmy Howard, who's in the last year of his deal this coming season, and... and uh, 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 Patrick Rybar, who they signed, who's a little bit banged up, but he should be at development camp. And obviously, and this is for another time, they're going to sign a, a free agent goalie to be Jimmy's backup uh, uh, next week sometime. But with all that said, it, it, you know, it, is this just the Red Wings doing their due diligence and a position of need? Certainly, goaltender very important. But they've got to re replenish the stock uh, the organization does when it comes to goaltending. Sure they do, and, 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 and you know, there's only one way. you got to stock the shelves, and then you close the cupboard, right? They're, they don't have an expiry date on them, you know, in terms of, of where they're at in two, three years' time. You see where they develop. Goaltenders, as we know, take a little bit of time. I've never seen Bradstrom play. I don't know anything about him. So I, I, I want to tell you that right now. But he's a big guy. They obviously have uh, have a book on him. And, you know, do you know the story about Pekka Rene? Just won the Vezina? Yes, I, I do know a little bit about about his history. I know that he and, and Howard are, are, are pretty good friends, so I've talked to Jimmy about him a bit. Well, let me tell you this about Pekka. So, Ray Shiro was the uh, assistant GM in Nashville, and he and I were uh, were over in Europe. And I was uh, coming from Germany, he was coming from Finland, and we were going into Sweden and, and traveling together a little bit. Anyway, long story short, I, 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 had, I had a little fall. Uh, in a bathtub Ooh. in Germany that morning and ended up uh, like, like the, the hot water. It was okay. It was that I was telling Ray about it. So Ray says to me, he goes, well, I'll tell you where I was at last night. I was a game in Finland last night. And our, and our Finnish scout says, we got to get there for the warm-up. I want you to watch his goalie. He says, well, you know, he goes, no, no, he doesn't play very much, but he's a really good goalie and you're going to have to watch him in the warm-up. And Ray's going, here I am. He goes, i gotta, I got to evaluate goalies in the warm-up now for the draft. <laughs> so... Fast forward, I mean, he didn't tell me who it was, nor should he, and I wasn't expecting it. We get to the draft, Ray comes over to me, he goes, uh, he goes, remember that guy I was telling you about him feeling the bat? We just drafted him, Pecorine. Wow. Well, well you never so, know. Let him grow. That, well, and that's what I, I know the Red Wings have a book on him, and probably some other teams do, no question about it, but, and, and you're right, you never know. And that's what I mean, stock the shelves. Let them get working, let them get developing, and see where they go to. But if you don't got them on the shelves, guess what? You go in there, and you need a goaltender, you look, well, who's on? Ooh, we got nobody on the shelf. Yeah, wow. Well, you know, I mean, if they, if uh, if Eliasson or Bradstrom can be the next Pecorine, I think the Red Wings did their uh, did their homework uh, correctly. <laughs> that that no, would I be... Mean, I mean, we're talking about the Vezina Trophy. What, I, the, the, the point really is, I mean, obviously if that happened, I mean, it's a, it's a grand slam home run. Right. But, you know, what, what you've got to do, though, you, you get them in the system and let's see where they go. Right. That's where you're at now. And I'm a 
huge believer, Art. Draft guys you like. Forget about everything else. Well, certainly, and the Red Wings do like this draft. I, I could tell by the reaction. I think they're pretty pleased. I think they're a little bit stunned as we, we don't need to belabor the point that uh, uh, Zadina and uh, Valeno, uh, and, and they like Jonathan Bergeron a lot because they said if Valeno wasn't there at 30, they were going to take uh, 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 Bergeron at, uh, at 30. But, Craig, with all that said, uh, I, I want to thank you for doing this. I mean, you know, Two times in a week's time to be on uh, the Red and White Authority. Really appreciate it. Uh, Craig Bunn, the director of scouting for TSN. Uh, very, very quickly, uh, when do you start gearing up for 2019? Because the Red Wings now uh, have 11 picks in that draft as well. Uh, do you take a little bit of a break, or are you right back at it? Well, I mean, there's a little bit of a break. I, I mean, he, 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 I'm going to joke, tongue-in-cheek. But Wednesday, I'm going down to Buffalo, uh, USA Development um, with, with their group of 2001 players, which is next year's draft. Mm -hmm. They bring in about 160 kids. Uh, so it just gives me an opportunity to watch some of those players that aren't part of the national team development program. It really helps me, you, you know, get a sense of where I might want to spend some time uh, in the fall and, and, and early into uh, November and December next year to try to get a, a look at some of these players. So it's just, uh, as Scotty Bowman said, it's a free look. So I'm going in for a free look. After that, I won't be doing anything until uh, August when the World Junior Summer Showcase starts. Well, uh, enjoy your time off, Craig. And again, I, I you know, I, I can't. Ex words really cannot express my gratitude for you uh, taking time out because I know you're very, very busy. I do appreciate it, and uh, thanks for being on the Red and White Authority. We'll talk to you very, very soon. Thanks, Craig. Love doing it with you, Art, and uh, uh, always a pleasure. Thank you.